Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, evolution and creation are obviously very different ways or methods of describing the origin and diversity of life and even the universe itself. Mm -hmm. However, in today's program, you wanted to discuss a similarity between them, one that evolutionists resist acknowledging. Yes, and that similarity is the necessity of applying assumptions or presuppositions in the thought processes involved in presenting explanations for the origin and diversity of life. But even though both worldviews must use assumptions, the words evolutionists use to label those presuppositions tend to be different depending on whether they're talking about the proposals of evolutionists or creationists. Do you know what I'm talking about, Scott? I think so. Are you referring to how evolutionists claim their reasoning is based on evidence, but creationists base theirs on faith? That's it. Evolutionists claim their explanations for origins are based on evidence, and creationists' explanations are based on faith. Now, the word evidence carries with it an aura of scientific objectivity, while the word faith has a kind of religious connotation. However, in both descriptions, buried in the meaning of the words based on is the idea of presupposition or assumption. That is, concepts which are accepted even though they cannot be objectively proven, especially in the scientific sense of being demonstrable and repeatable. In other words, scientists cannot demonstrate or repeat the Big Bang or spontaneous generation. Sure can't. <laughs> nor can they demonstrate or repeat the special creation of the sun, moon, and stars, or plants and animals. Exactly. And yet, when presenting arguments for the Big Bang or the origin of life, evolutionists call it science, but pretty much refer to special creation as religion. And Scott, when describing philosophies or religions, there's a suffix added to the end of the term identifying the way of thought. Oh, you mean ism, like communism, Catholicism, yes. anything like that. Mm -hmm. And an ism you will hear evolutionists frequently use is creationism, as though it was a kind of philosophy or religious form of thought. But in all my interaction with evolutionary research or literature, I've never heard the word evolutionism used by evolutionists. Now, that by no means proves evolutionists have never identified their worldview as evolutionism. But I would contend that it is simply not used in their circle of influence. And I submit it's because of the connotation of the word. An ism is associated with some kind of belief, and proponents of evolution claim their worldview is based on evidence alone. Now, that does not apply 100% across the board. Some evolutionists definitely do admit there's an element of belief or faith in their choice to accept evolution as the cause of the universe and origin of life, but they are very rare. So, Dr. Scripture, I agree with the general idea that your claiming exists, but could you give an example or two to support what you're saying? You mean you don't think everyone should just accept my word on faith, Scott? Uh, no. Well, I couldn't agree more. So <laughs> let's look at a few statements by some well-known evolutionists that demonstrate what I'm talking about. First, a current spokesman for what I will call evolutionism is Richard Dawkins. Ah, yes. And here are a couple of quotes from what he wrote in an article titled, Is Science a Religion? It was published in The Humanist, volume 57. And on page 26, he says, quote, I think a case can be made that faith is one of the world's great evils. 
Faith, being belief that isn't based on evidence, is the principal vice of any religion. Unquote. But now listen to what he says the very next page of this article. Quote, now, as I say, when it is put to me that science or some particular part of science, like evolutionary theory, is just a religion like any other, I usually deny it with indignation. But I've begun to wonder whether perhaps that's the wrong tactic. Perhaps the right tactic is to accept the charge gratefully and demand equal time for science in religious education classes, unquote. Hmm. He then goes on to say, what worries me is not the question of equal time, but that, as far as I can see, children in the United Kingdom and the United States are essentially given no time with evolution, yet are taught creationism, whether at school, in church, or at home. Ah, that's an excellent example of the way a prominent evolutionist uses different words to describe evolution and creation worldviews. When talking about what is being taught to children, he used the word evolution in contrast to creationism. <laughs> it's very subtle, isn't it? And very calculated. And yet, evolution is truly an ism, based on how we use that suffix to identify any philosophy or religion. And once in a while, an evolutionist will admit the element of faith involved in evolutionism. An excellent example comes from an important evolutionist from the previous generation named George Wald. Wald was famous for his proposals on the origin of life, and he wrote this in a chapter titled The Origin of Life in the book The Physics and Chemistry of Life back in 1955. He's discussing the chemical origin of life, and he says, quote, One has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that the spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. Yet here we are. As a result, I believe in spontaneous generation. Now, that was back in 1955. Surely, with all the advancements in technology, we've discovered lots of evidence to support the possibility of spontaneous generation in almost seven decades of research, right? Well, actually, Dr. Scripture, what we've seen and what you've presented many times on this program is, with the accumulation of knowledge about the structures and mechanisms involved in the chemistry of life, the idea that life could have spontaneously arisen is even more ludicrous an idea than when we did not know as much as we know now. Which is why adherents to intelligent design are increasing in number within the scientific community. And those who insist on holding on to evolutionism must exercise greater and greater faith with each new discovery. So with that said, Scott, I want to consider what the Bible says about faith. Now, this is certainly a statement about faith in God. However, it also applies to a belief in evolution. It's the introductory statement to Hebrews chapter 11, which gives what we might say is the, or at least a, definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Scott, read Hebrews 11.1 1 from the NIV. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So, associated with faith is assurance, certainty, conviction. And what else? Hope. Yes, hope. The person who believes in God, and more specifically, and perhaps even more importantly, who believes in the Word of God, has hope. Not a wishy, pie-in-the-sky kind of hope, but a confident, certain assurance. But it is a hope because the object of that hope is not seen. I think there's a passage somewhere in the New Testament that even explains that hope isn't hope 
if it's seen. Indeed there is. It's Romans chapter 8, Scott. Go ahead and read verse 24 of Romans 8. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? And this is verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Now that passage is talking about the faith we have in order to be saved and the hope for eternal life it produces. However, it is possible for a person to put their faith in someone or something other than God and still have hope. In fact, that hope can drive a person to believe in things that all the evidence around them refutes. And I submit that it's hope which drives much of the conviction exhibited by evolutionists. They are truly dedicated to evolutionism and their hope to explain the origin of the universe and life by purely materialistic cause and effects drives them to believe in spite of evidence. Indeed, this predominant worldview of evolutionism is not based in objective scientific observation at all, but in hope and belief. And to demonstrate that, I want to read a few statements from a recent article published online in nationalgeographic.com on February 2nd of this year, 2022. I get the National Geographic newsletter as a way of keeping up with current issues in popular evolutionary thought. And in this recent issue, it introduced the letter with this, quote, in today's newsletter, will new missions find evidence of alien life, unquote. And the headline reads, evidence grows of alien life, but we've been fooled before. (laughs) (laughs) The author, Victoria Jaggard, National Geographic's science executive editor, then writes, quote, For scientists who have been searching for signs of life beyond Earth, the red planet probably seems like a trickster. In the 1800s, Mars enthusiasts using telescopes became convinced that alien canals were splayed across the landscape. They were not, photos soon showed. As late as 1967, no one less than the famed astronomer Carl Sagan imagined Mars populated with tentacled herbivores. Mm. The first Mars landers and orbiters sadly proved him wrong in the 1970s. And then came the time in 1996 when President Bill Clinton walked onto the White House lawn and announced to the world that scientists had found fossilized traces of Martian microbes in a meteorite. Oh, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Front pages of the newspaper had pictures of the meteorite with what looked like fossilized bacteria on it. I remember the power of those photos, too. But what wasn't obvious was those photos were magnified 1,000 times more than a photo of the bacteria they supposedly looked like. There was no way a bacteria, which requires all kinds of intracellular structures, could be that small. A DNA molecule could hardly have fit in it. But the evolutionists just wanted to make everyone think they'd found life on Mars. I'll read more from the National Geographic article. It didn't take long for other scientists to debunk that interpretation of Allen Hill's 84001, as the now infamous meteorite is known. Though plenty of researchers have revisited it over the years, trying to figure out its secrets. But astrobiologist Kendall Lynch of the Lunar and Planetary Institute says, quote, I feel so grateful to that rock because it's made us really, really think about what we know about life, unquote. 
And even today's high-tech rovers are sending back tantalizing but as yet inconclusive hints of life on Mars, from bursts of methane to odd carbon ratios to mysterious purple coatings on its rocks. Uh, Okay, so there's one of those assumptions that evolutionists don't even question. Because there's methane, some odd ratios of different isotopes of carbon, and some purple stuff on a rock, they still hold on to the hope that life exists or existed on Mars. It's truly simply hope, Scott. In our last program, we discussed an article in a 2019 issue of Smithsonian Magazine about the search for life in outer space, and it openly revealed the hope of evolutionism. I'll read just one portion of it. Quote, Before 1976, when Viking 1 and 2 became the first spacecraft to successfully land and operate on the surface of Mars, the global imagination longed desperately for a red planet that harbored life. The Viking landers were designed to test for microbes, but the real hope held by even the most jaded planetary scientists was that NASA's spacecraft would discover complex life on Mars. Something that scurried or maybe a scraggly shrub. Mars, after all, was our last best hope, unquote. What's the saying? Hope springs eternal? Yep, that's an earthly proverb. But for those who hope in their Creator's work on their behalf by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 1 and 2, and then Titus 3, 7 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God, being justified by His grace. We might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.